this morning, we find ourselves in 2 Timothy, and the irony of this is not lost on me that the primary theme that Paul is talking about here is the salvific hope of Christ, the saving hope of Christ. Uh, So whether we're confronted with life's mysteries, whether we're confronted with life's tragedies, whether we're confronted with life's joys, no matter what we're confronted with in life, what is the message that should resonate and, and echo and continue to come out of us, it is the saving hope that we have in Christ Jesus. Paul has been talking to Timothy about all sorts of things, all manner of things, going all the way back to 1 Timothy to present. In this second letter, as I've told you already more than once, this is his final letter. These are his final words to young Timothy and to the church. And so he uses his time right before his death to get in all those last-minute things that he wanted Timothy to know. And so if we think it's simple, or as I've already addressed with you before, if we think it repetitive, that Paul says, hey, listen, in the face of conflict, you need the gospel. In the face of, of ministry, you need the gospel. In your personal life, you need the gospel. In your relationships, you need the gospel. That's not simple, and it bears repeating because the reality is, is how often do we get sidetracked in the wilderness where we forget, what is that thing I need? Well, we know exactly how often we get sidetracked because every time we reach for something beyond or instead of the gospel, we are understanding we are missing the primary message of Scripture, which is that Christ and Him crucified and raised from the dead is the very hope we need in all seasons of life. Last week when we met together, We looked at Paul's instruction to Timothy to be a good soldier. He uses those three analogies, a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. What did we say about those three analogies in particular? All about commitment, that Christ, or or Paul rather, was calling Timothy to be committed and faithful and to the church, and he builds on that here. He builds on that, and and he builds on that simply by giving a very brief, simple, but straightforward gospel presentation to Timothy. What is the root, what is the foundation of Christian commitment and faithfulness? Nothing but the gospel. And you will hear me say that word a lot. What do I mean by that word? That God made him, that is Christ Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. It's that transition from death to life, that transition from sin and wickedness to righteousness, that transition from the old man to the new man, that transition from the old creation to the new creation. That's what we mean by gospel. And if that's true, if we've been transformed, if we've been reborn, if we've been recreated, or, or our, our creation renewed, rather, the image of Christ fully restored in us, then it's going to mean there's a difference in how we approach life. There has to be practical value to the theology that we hold. If there's not, the theology that we hold is relatively meaningless if it doesn't affect how we live and how we process life. Good theology is great, but if it does not translate into good thinking, good living, and good doing, it does very little for you. There are lots of smart, good theologians who will go to hell because it doesn't do the transforming work that the gospel must do in the heart of a person 
for them to truly and ultimately be renewed and reborn. So with those thoughts in mind, let us continue on in what Paul says to Timothy. Starting in verse 8, beloved of God, this is God's infallible, inerrant word, or 2 Timothy rather, not first. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the Word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, he will also reign, we will also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. So in the reading of God's Word, may it its blessing. Please pray with me. Father, uh, we do. We come before you. We come before you in the spirit of thanksgiving as we've just celebrated, knowing that we're not always that way. But today we come saying, renew us, transform us, give us that new spark, that refreshing that we need to live boldly in and with and for you. Do this, we pray, in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, in John's gospel, one of the, out of all four of the evangelists, all four of the gospel accounts of Christ, the life of Christ, John's, of course, as we know, is unique. It, it doesn't look much like the, the synoptic gospel. Synoptics is what we call Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's gospel is different. But in John chapter 19, we won't turn there, what you get is the, I'm going to put trial in quotes. Jesus' trial was somewhat of a sham, but let's call it the trial and crucifixion of Christ. And what you have in John 19 is Jesus before Pilate, and in, before Pilate, you have the exchange, of course, the, the thing that is most commonly remembered from John 19 as, as far as what Pilate says, Pilate asked Jesus what is, what is truth. But in that same exchange, Pilate is leveling accus the accusations that have been levied against Jesus. These are not his own personal accusations. These have been reported to him. And as he is relaying these things to Jesus about Jesus, if you remember, he tells Jesus, Jesus stands there silently, and he becomes frustrated. And he utters one of the more famous things that he says to Jesus in that exchange. Pilate says to him, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Of course, maybe you remember Jesus' answer. You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Now, I want to give you the translation of what is happening here. Pilate says, I have the authority to kill you and release you, so you should answer me. Jesus' response, no, you don't. The only authority you have is only yours because God has given it to you in this moment. Pilate, translation, I can save you. I'm the one who can save you if you will answer me. Jesus, translation, my only salvation is in the Father. God saves. Pilate, is, you're not my saving hope. The Pharisees and them relenting from judgment is not the saving hope. Any sort of idol or thing that we can think of 
is not going to save us, and it wasn't going to save Jesus. Only God can do that. And I appreciated in that moment with Christ, who stood before Pilate, Pilate said, I can save you, and Jesus says, only God does that. Power to save comes from God. Well, when we think about Paul and Timothy here, it should not be lost on us that Paul is facing death. He is in the face of death. And Paul brings Timothy back round to the simplicity of the gospel. What does he say in verse 8? Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached, what? In my gospel. Timothy, you're facing a challenge. I'm facing death. What are we going to talk about for the next few paragraphs? The gospel. How important is it? It's so important that, that Pastor uh, Yi over in China, who I've, I've mentioned many times before, says the most important thing he could do for his congregation up till his arrest was preach the gospel. When he gets questioned by the guards, he proclaims the gospel. When he is in prison and people come to abuse him, he stands for and sticks to the gospel. So this is not just rote. This is not just a nice Christian answer. This is the true Christian answer. Paul brings Timothy to the simplicity of the gospel. And so whether we need security in suffering, i.e. something to keep our hearts grounded, whether we need encouragement in dealing with what is false, it's the gospel that Paul brings us to. It's the gospel that has the answers. When we think about Paul, the words of Paul here, it does. It brings clarity both to personal life and to ministry, just because you might not be an ordained minister or just because you might not work for a church, don't let that lure you into believing that there is no ministry. If you serve Christ this morning, you have ministry. And Paul says in your personal life and in your ministry, the gospel speaks. And it says this, <laughs> that because of Christ and His work on the cross, and His work in the resurrection and the ascension, that because these things are true, that whether we are in public or private, commitment and or faithfulness should be our defining trait. That should always be true of us. Now, if you're like me, and you hold that mirror up in front of yourself, it's super convicting because you would have to confess with me that isn't always my defining trait. Why? Because in some meaningful way, in certain places in Brad's life, he forgets to believe or trust in the gospel because something seems easier. Because maybe that pilot is before you saying, don't you know that I have the power to save you? And you go, oh, okay, well, maybe I'll try that this time. Only to end in heartache. So Paul gives us this gospel clarity, simplicity. Brad, we've heard this before. We sure have. And we're going to hear it again <laughs> because we need to. Because we need to be reminded of the essential uh, or the simplicity of the essential message of Christ, which is, I have redeemed you, now walk faithfully with me. The human capacity for being sidetracked is real. It's real. And that's why we constantly need to rewrite the ship in a Godward direction. Constantly. That is why repentance is such a necessary aspect of life. Why do you think Martin Luther, theologian, uh, Richard mentioned him earlier, of the Reformation, why do you think he said that all of life is repentance? Because he understood the human capacity to sidetrack ourselves in the wilderness and to understand that when we come to our senses like the prodigal son, we go, wait, 
no, we can't do this. We've got to, I've got to go back to the house of my father. That is the beauty of repentance. How important is this message? Well, it's important enough that when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, this is what he said to them. I decided to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. I decided to know nothing among you but Christ and Him crucified. What is Paul saying? That when I was with you, what I decided to do was hone in, abide in, and preach the simple gospel. Because whether you need uh, to flee from sexual immorality, from legalism, from licentiousness, or just basic human depravity, there's one place that we need to go to, and it's the cross. And there's one message that leads us there, and it is the gospel. And so when we think about the cross, it is the heart of the gospel. Why? Because it's through our identification with Christ in death that we have the new hope of life, that we have been, Paul says, have been, uh, we, we've died with Him in baptism and raised up with Him in new life. And here, Paul mentions the resurrection so that we remember that the hope of life in Christ is what? It's an unconquerable power, beloved. When Paul mentions the resurrection, he's talking about the one man in history who died and rose again and lives and reigns now. What is the one power in, death, or in life that we all succumb to? It's death. What is the one power that has conquered death and says you have that power alive in you? It is Christ. Why does Paul constantly mention either crucifixion or resurrection? Because that is the, that is the locus. That is the central place of power that we have in Christ that calls us to life. And so there is no suffering. There is no argument that can assail us because the life of Christ is in us. And so with those thoughts in mind, there's a central point I want for us to see, and it's this. Gospel truth is our only salvation and hope. I know, horribly simple. Needs to be restated constantly. Gospel truth is our only salvation and hope. We think about why do, we, why do I make the distinction gospel truth? There's so many things in our day and age that are peddled as truth. Things that are not true. Talked about like they're true. They're assumed that they're true. Many people just accept that they're true. But there's, there's one source of truth. Truth, uh, truth suffers no rivals, beloved. There, there is not your truth and my truth. That is a lie from Satan. That is just a lie. True is true. It's true if it's true if it's true. And if it's not true, it's false. There is no if it's true for you and it's not true for me. We can just be okay with that. That's nonsense. So when we talk about gospel truth, we're talking about the source of all that is true, which is rooted in Christ. Everything begins there. And when we think about the person and work of Jesus Christ, it's foundational to all we do. It's foundational to all that we are. Why do you think the New Testament, Paul in particular, is so fond of that prepositional phrase, in Him, in Christ Jesus, in Christ? You find it repeatedly in Paul's letters, and there's a reason for that, is because that becomes the foundation, that becomes the root, that becomes essential to all that we are and do. He says in Ephesians 1, people get so hung up about uh, Paul speaking of us being chosen and where does Paul locate that election or that choice? We were chosen in Him, 
in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. So the very election, the very salvation we enjoy is centered in who Christ is, in the work of Christ. Why before the foundation of the world? So that we have no claim on Him. <laughs> so that it is a gift. And there is no argument against that. That's exactly what Paul says. Because it is foundational in Christ, in Him, in Christ Jesus, is foundational to everything. Paul says here, beginning in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. And I'm going to stop right there. When we think about Jesus Christ, what is he doing? He's reminding Timothy, you're going to suffer and deal with false teachers. You've got to endure. So who gives us power to be saved? Christ. Who gives us power to handle what is false and to be bold? Christ. This word here, remember, is an express command. The idea and the force of it is to remember and keep remembering. Always remember this is true. Remember this. This is not a suggestion. It's a continuous call or, or command to call this to mind. But when we say remember, you've heard me say this so many times before in Scripture, remember is never just an academic exercise. It's never just a cognitive exercise. It is the idea that we remember, we call to mind, and we put it into action. So when, we, when he told the Israelites to, or when Moses through or under the inspiration of God, told the Israelites to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, that remember is parallel with that verb keep. So call to mind and do. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Call to mind and live as if this is true. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. Live out the truth of this. The two things he mentions here are interesting, being raised from the dead, risen from the dead, and the seed or the offspring of David, two very important aspects, two very important theological things that come together many times in Scripture. But what is he doing here? He's given us the divine aspect of who Jesus is and the human aspect of who Jesus is. So we're, we're getting ready to think about the advent, the first coming of Christ. What is Paul pulling together? the divinity and humanity of Christ in the incarnation. What does Paul often do? He brings us back around to the incarnation. Why? Because Jesus come in the flesh is the answer that we need. That's why. It's the hope of humanity. And so, Jesus, who's risen from the dead, who is from David, this is the incarnation. This is the God-man who saves. But two things, He's risen from the dead. His resurrection what does it do? It validates his claims. When Jesus came walking out of that tomb, everything that he said was then shown to be true. Everything. Everything he said about himself was shown to be true. So it validates his claims. But it also is the firstborn from the dead. That's what Paul would tell the Colossian church. When, when those people saw Jesus and they saw him come out of that tomb and they saw the risen Christ, they, begun to, they began to understand the power of life really does reside in this guy, this man, this being, this holy one. And so he gives life. He validates his claims and he gives life. How do we have life? Through Christ, period. The end of the story. That's where life comes from. But why does he mention David? Well, of course, what I've already told you is to bring together the human component, the divine component. But when we think about David, if you think about David from Scripture, of course, you naturally go to the Old Testament, the first, 
not the first king of Israel, but the first true king of Israel. Saul, we know, for all his strengths, ended up being rejected by God. But when you see that name David mentioned, the first word that should pop into your mind, especially in, in the New Testament, is the word covenant. What did God tell David? You will never, someone will sit on your throne perpetually, forever. For that to happen, someone's got to be able to endure. The only one who can come in the lineage of David to endure is Christ. And so when you see David, what you need to remember is that God is the fulfiller of His covenant. He made a promise to His people, and He keeps His promises. So in Christ, we see promises kept. In Christ, we see covenant love affirmed. Now, Paul has given us a very simple message here. The simplicity, the simplicity of the gospel can't be denied. And yet, he's not trying to minimize your suffering or Timothy's suffering or any valley that we ever walk through. To talk about the simplicity of the gospel is not to simply say, then smile and be happy because the gospel is true. There's time for lament. There's times for seasons of sadness. And we deal with all sorts of things as human beings. I could go into the different levels of abuse that, that human beings deal with on psychological, emotional levels, on physical levels, and other ways that we can think of that people are abused, and, 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 and so forth and so on. When we think about the, the persecuted church, can you imagine what some of our brothers and sisters at this very moment are enduring for the name of the gospel? Do you think that simply by reading these words, it makes it easier physically? Of course it doesn't. Of course, they weep and have long nights, dark nights of the soul. But here's what it does do. In a, in, in a void, in a sea of darkness, in a valley of shadow, it is a beam of hope that this is not all there is. This suffering will not have the last word. This pain is not the last voice. The last voice is Christ. Christ the motto to Rachel's college and now Jessica's college, the motto is Christ above all. And that is the, the loud and clear message of the gospel, that through every valley, Timothy, through all the false teachers, through all the stomach pains, through all the shyness, through all the people coming in, accusing you, breaking you down, there is Christ above all. And the only true last word comes from Christ. And we need to remember that life is complex. Life is complex. You know what I'm learning? I've been on this earth now for about 46 and a half years. And the first couple of years don't count because I don't remember that. But from about four years old and on, one of the things that I'm learning is life is complex. I have dealt with my own share of complexities. If you ever want to ask me about my story, it's, it's so much deeper than just the drug addiction that I dealt with. I dealt with some hard, hard stuff that will impact me for the rest of my life. And as complex as I've tried to make the answers to those situations in my life, they're not all that comp. The answer is not all that complex. Living it out can be because there's so many pulls at our flesh and at our mind from the world and from Satan and from our own flesh to go in directions that are not godly. But it doesn't mean the answer is skewed. It means that often my vision of it is skewed. So the, the world is complex. Our issues are complex. But the answer that we need is simple.
It's the gospel. Paul builds on this. He continues, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. I love how he does this. The God who keeps us in salvation is the God who keeps us in suffering. Well, how do we know how the world feels about the gospel? Well, what Paul talks about, they're chaining him, they're chaining him up over the gospel, over the message. As I preached in my gospel, for which this is continuous, for which I am suffering. So for the gospel, I am suffering, in fact, bound with chains as a criminal, treated as a criminal because of my message. When we think about that, we, we understand how much the world hates the gospel, enough to try to chain it up. But here's the thing. You can chain people. So Pastor Wang Yi, he can be chained up. Brothers and sisters in Pakistan, in Iran, in Iraq, in Turkey, in the different countries in Africa, all around the world, they can be chained. You can kill them. But you know what you can't do? You can't chain the message of the gospel. You can't silence the voice of God because every time somebody is chained up or killed, other voices raise up and they stand in the gap and they stand in the gap and they stand in the gap because there is a living hope and message at work in them. When we think about the Word of God, it does something. It brings freedom, beloved. It brings freedom. Freedom for what? Freedom to, to do whatever you want to do? No. Freedom, liberty from ourselves and the power of the flesh, liberty from the world to do what it says and to live by its precepts, I no longer have to be what I once was, and liberty from the voice of Satan. Oh yes, he whispers, and his whispers are convincing, but here's the beauty of what the gospel does. We don't have to listen to it. We do, and it leads us in, in, to bad spots, but we don't have to, we're not bound to listen to it. Because what does the gospel do? It comes in it restores that which has been lost. It, it renews that which has been taken or killed, namely life. So what does the world do? If we just shut the church up, the message will be dead. But what have they not figured out? China can't just, seem, just can't seem to figure it out. The more they persecute, the louder the message becomes. The more they kill, the more is added to the number. In Africa, in Sudan especially, they keep trying. Boko, uh, Boko Haram, I hope God brings that organization down and sends it to where it belongs, which is in the recesses of hell. But you, why can't they just shut the church up? Because every time they kill somebody and chain somebody, somebody else is raised up. I'll take that. The world seeks to chain that which is unchainable, and it can't. Therefore, Paul says in verse 10, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Again, what is he, why, is he, why is he willing to suffer? For the salvation of the elect. Therefore, what is it therefore? Since I am free in Christ, I can endure. Since I am free in Christ, I can be chained. Can you think of a more beautiful paradox? I am free in Christ, so chain me if you will. I have the message of Christ, try to silence me if you will. I have the hope of Christ, kill me if you will. But there's something that you can't touch here. 
It's called hope in Christ. There's something that you can't silence here. It is the voice of the Spirit. There's something that you cannot take here. It is the pearl of great price because you can't take it by force. It can only be given as a gift to the elect for the proclamation. But lest we get sidetracked and not for the sake of the elect, Paul mentioned there is a, an elect, the electos, the Greek word. What does it mean? It means the chosen, those whom God has called out of the world to be his own. But here again, what do we get? We get divine sovereignty, God's will and election, and we get human responsibility. I love the way that the, the Scriptures constantly put these two together, and they just set them down there, the writers. I endure everything for the sake of the elect. Why, Paul? That they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why is it important that he says that? Well, he's acknowledging God's work in salvation. It's God's work. God reserves a people for himself. But there is a message that people have to respond to, and it's called the gospel. And here's the hope of, of that we have here. If God has an elect and they have to respond to a message, why should we be faithful in proclamation? Because some of the people that we proclaim to will, in fact, respond. That's the hope of the elect. The elect obtain salvation in the fact that God, is, God chooses, but they still need to hear. And when we think about this, we're talking about salvation, right? That they may obtain salvation. Salvation in whom? In Christ. The message of Christ. The salvific word of Christ. That there's no other name under heaven by which men and women are saved but Jesus. And so God does His work and we respond to His work by the power of the Spirit. Paul spends the rest of this paragraph, these last three verses, talking about the faithful word or the trustworthy saying. Uh, the ESV says the saying is trustworthy. This is a formula in the pastoral epistles. He says this repeatedly. This is a trustworthy saying. For if we have died with Him, we live with Him. We endure, we will reign with Him. We deny Him, He'll deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. So we get this faithful word formula faithful word, trustworthy word. Uh, the word is trustworthy. It's good. It's live by its wisdom is what we should do. We should live by the wisdom of what Paul states here. That's the goal of giving us that formulaic statement. So he's, he begins, if we've died with him, we'll live with him. This is a basic statement about identification. If we have died with Christ in the, in the crucifixion, we will live with him. This is a promise. You're identified with Christ in his death. You are identified with Christ in his life. That's the goal of what Paul is saying here. We have a fundamental identity change. We were dead, and now we are alive. And we need to keep that in mind, because we often try to live like we're dead again. But Paul says, no, no, we're alive. And that is a fundamental identity change. So we die with him, identified, live with him, identified. If we endure, he will reign I want you to notice the crown of life, of reigning, is a conditional clause. If we endure, we will reign. It should not be lost on us that the New Testament gives a great deal of teaching on the reality that endurance is important. If you don't think so, read the book of Revelation. Just encourage you to read through it one day, not try to figure out all the imagery, and see how many times you find 
He who endures until the end. The Bible makes a big deal about endurance. Brad, how do we endure? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because you're good enough. Not because you're strong enough. Because the Spirit working in you will lead you on a good path of endurance. But Paul makes this plain. That if we endure with Him, or if we endure, we will reign with Him. Now this is important. Because... Fidelity has eternal implications. Faithfulness and commitment are not nice Christian ideas that are really not all that important. They mean everything. Our faithfulness is of the essence. Fidelity matters. Oh, beloved, as I've told you many times, it's not as if we're saved by what we do, but what we do communicates a whole bunch about whose we are and who we are. And so that faithfulness matters. So when Jesus says the world will know you by the way that you love one another, don't you understand one of the things he's saying is your faithfulness to one another is what will identify you to the world? So faithfulness matters. How we live matters. And that should be a a point of conviction for all of us, the speaker included this morning, because what we do matters. Here we get into controversial waters. If we deny him, he also will deny us because you have this juxtaposition. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. So we have to question, what are we talking about here? What kind of denial are we talking about? Well, first and foremost, let's deal with the deny aspect first. So if we deny him, he'll deny us. What does he mean by denial here? A full and final denial, not some sort of momentary lapse because there are, past, there are places in Scripture where, of course, Peter denied Christ. That word is actually used. He denied him three times, in fact. But was that a full and final denial, or was it a momentary lapse for which Peter repented? Well, we know which it is because we have the Scriptures, a momentary lapse for which Peter repented. And so this denial here is important for us to understand. It's kind of like an uh, apostasy denial or a lifestyle of denial or kind of continuing to, to live and never come back from a place of denial. There's a whole church history that now I don't have the time to get into about a division in the church over those who, in a moment of persecution, were not strong and and made some concessions versus those who uh, didn't make any concessions, and the church had a split over who could be included. If you've ever wondered where the name Catholic came in for church, it started. This debate was part of it, but we'll cover that another time. Well, one of the things we should understand, though, that trust in Christ is a zero-sum endeavor. It's not as if we trust in Christ some and not at others. We're called to trust Christ. We're called not to deny Christ. We're called to live boldly for Christ. For to reject Christ is to stand rejected. So, the importance of preaching the gospel becomes primary because we understand what's at stake. What's at stake. If we are faithless, He remains faithful. There is a great deal of debate about how you understand this one here. There are two primary schools of thought. The first school of thought is this. Um, If we are faithless, He remains faithful. That when we are unfaithful, God is still faithful, and the grace that we need supplies and keeps us, and God doesn't turn His back on us. That is one school of thought. Another school of thought is to read this with the previous statement. If we deny Him... 
he also will deny us. If we're faithless, he remains faithful. If we are faithless before him, he remains faithful to execute judgment against us. Those are the two primary schools of thought in terms of how you understand this. Either could be right or the good postmodern way is there's a middle road through them. Here's what we should hold as true. Are we always faithful to Christ? No. Is he still, does he remain faithful? Yes. His grace is sure. But we also need to understand that part of the faithfulness of Yahweh of Christ is his judgment, to judge that which is wicked and, un, and unrighteous and wrong. And so in that sense, he is faithful to judge what is ultimately faithless and to cast it out or to redeem it. Why? Why is this true? Well, Paul tells us because, or for, he cannot deny himself. His character demands it. His righteous character demands faithfulness in love, faithfulness in judgment. So I think it's somewhat of a both and. God is faithful to us when we're unfaithful. God is also ultimately faithful to judge those whom he has deemed unfaithful. Can I say something horribly obvious this morning as we're wrapping this up? That we need Jesus more than we need anything else. And it is horribly obvious to say that. It was horribly obvious when I wrote it in my notes. In fact, the very next thing I wrote, this is verbatim what I typed out on my little computer. That may seem horribly obvious to say. But, and there is a big but here, it remains true nonetheless. It is obvious, and it remains true. I think a primary reason that it has to be stated is that we often look to so many other things besides Jesus. The salvation is not found in any other place, in any other thing, in any other person. We tend to look at so many things for comfort and hope, but those things only come through Christ. Their suffering is hard. And perhaps maybe, like me, you're learning <laughs> that there is no chemical that makes it go away, that there is no experience that hides us from it, that there are no other remedies that give us strength in the midst of it. There is nothing else that provides peace needed to endure it. Those things, that peace, that strength, that security, that hope, all comes from the same thing, and that is Jesus Christ. So Jesus does give us victory in those things. Do you believe that? Jesus does give us victory in those things. Will you press into Christ, or will we continue to search the horizon for that thing that isn't there? It's a mirage that only leaves us empty. Questions for us to ponder. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you even for this season where we're asked by our nation even to pause and ponder what we might be grateful for. Oh, Father, we will never know the fullness of the sacrifice you made. Perhaps we'll understand one day when we know things as we are fully known. But until that day, we stand in awe of the reality that there is much you endured that we can know and much that we can't, much that we can't even begin to fathom about the gospel. 
And yet the simple message stands clear and firm as a beacon of light in a sea of darkness and mist. And it calls us home. Father, draw us in. Draw all our broken, weary hearts in. Draw lost hearts in that we may know you, be known by you, and proclaim you to the world. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.